Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Metaphysical Milkshake, the show where we go deep, we get weird, and we search for the meaning of life along the way. Presented by Cast Media and Soul Pancake. Hey, everybody. It's me, Rain Wilson. And I'm Reza Aslan. And today, oh my gosh, we're going to have such a special episode of Metaphysical Milkshake. You can't even believe it. That's right. We're going to go deep. We're going to get weird. We're going to search for the meaning no, of life. No, Reza. We are not doing that. No, we're doing something a little different today. Okay. Okay. We're going to talk about sports. Yep. No? Uh, no. No. I just want you to know that uh, your family... I have gathered oh. right over here, and I, we love you very much, Reza, and we're a little wait. bit concerned. <laughs> wait, 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 we, wait, 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 what's happening? What's happening? What's okay, well, you have a problem, <laughs> and we would like to go around the circle and tell you how it makes us all feel. Wait, oh my God. So. Is, is this an intervention? Are you doing yes. an intervention? Yes, I am. What, what, we are. About what? I have no, I have no problems. I, I have it's no about your, issues. It's about your Twitter use. It's oh, a full-on addiction and it needs to stop. Come on. I like to tweet. That's not an addiction. How many times have you tweeted today? That's not important. How many times? Seven. Reza. Teen? 17? 18, okay. maybe? And any of those moments <laughs> while you were going to the bathroom? Most of them. Most of them happen while I'm going to the bathroom. But, like, you know, I go to the bathroom What do you, what do you call that again? There's a term for that. Twooping. It's when you tweet and poop at the same time. You twoop. Look, oh, I get bored, Lord. okay? I can't just sit there and think about pooping the whole time. I have to do something. Have you ever accidentally called your wife Jack Dorsey during sex? <laughs> That's not fair. Mm -hmm. She asks me to call her Jack Dorsey. Oh, it's a little role-playing thing? Okay, okay. In all seriousness, this does bring up a very interesting issue and a topic, the topic of addiction. Uh, it seems like, you know, whether it's drugs or alcohol or work or sex or social media or whatever it is, it seems like everybody's addicted to something. Everybody. Yeah. So our big question for uh, the pod uh, this week, why are we addicted to everything? And, and, and this is a topic that is near and dear to my heart, Reza, is something I've suffered with. I don't talk about it a whole lot. I've mm -hmm. referenced it before, but mental health issues, addiction issues have certainly been with me. They've been with my immediate family, my distant family. I've put many, many cousins through various mm -hmm. of the finest rehabs in the country. And I, I'm fascinated by this topic. But again, not just like how addiction works and on an individual level, what addiction is and, and why and what causes it, although that is fascinating and we're going to get some very valuable mm -hmm. perspectives. Uh, but humanity seems to be addicted to everything these days. And uh, does humanity just need a giant intervention <laughs> like the one we just had for you? 
<laughs> yes, thank you for that, by the way. No, this is a uh, this is really fascinating because I look, I'm gonna be perfectly honest with you. This is not a topic that I know a lot about. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I remember reading newspapers uh telling me that, oh no, addic- don't think of addiction as some kind of moral failing. Think of it as a disease now. So I was like, okay, I'll think of it as a disease now, I guess. And then then I remember, you know, you would hear these stories of celebrities being addicted to to sex or porn and people would, you know, make fun of them. And I was like, well, but if it's a real, if it's a disease, like, should we right. be making fun of people for having cancer? Like, that doesn't it, sound right. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny, like, it seems like 15 years ago, people made fun of that. And nowadays people are just like, people oh, don't. that's kind of real. I, yeah. think, I think people have changed. People are thinking about addiction differently. But also, as you rightly pointed out, it feels like, Everyone's addicted to something now. So, like, what's going on there? This is a, this is more than an individual problem. This is a societal problem. We need some help figuring out exactly what the hell is happening to us. And we're not going to be able to do this ourselves. So I have just the person, renowned addiction and mental health specialist, Dr. Gabor Mate, oh, is here. Oh, you love this guy. You love that. You never stop talking I, about this guy. I can't shut up about him. He's a recipient of the Hubert Evans Nonfiction Prize an honorary degree from University of Northern British Columbia. I am I am his biggest fan. I'm fangirling yeah. out right now. Um, love his book, In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts, Close Encounters with Addiction. Let's bring on Dr. Gabor Mate. Dr. Gabor Mate, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, you have excellent hair. It's amazing what toupees will do these days. <laughs> oh, <laughs> In all seriousness, and you've asked us to call you Gabor, I am such a huge fan of your work, and it has meant so much to me over the years. I was profoundly moved by um, In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts, your kind of memoir treatise uh, about addiction, and I've seen so many of your talks and appearances on other people's podcasts, and your perspective on addiction and the modern world is like none other. And it, it has really, truly uh, touched me. And I say this uh, in all seriousness as someone that has struggled deeply with addiction. I had a lot of mental health issues. Um, I still do, but a lot more in my 20s is when they surfaced. I had crippling anxiety. Uh, I would have anxiety attacks that would leave me in a pool of sweat on the floor for years. I mean, not for years, but over the course of years, many of those. And I suffered from depression and I also suffered from a lot of addiction issues. And that's not something I talk a lot about. I'm not really a believer in celebrities sharing every aspect of their addictive natures, but I've struggled with drugs and alcohol and that's where it started. But I've also had issues as I've learned more and more about addiction with porn and sex. I've had issues with uh, gambling, um, workaholism, uh, codependence, and the list goes on and on. So I've been in, personally, I've just loved the process of being in therapy, which I've been in for a very long time. I love that, this, you know, that excavation of the self and, you know, a large part of when you deal with therapy around addiction is you go into trauma and that's, you know, this link between trauma and addiction is kind of where you live And we're here to ask you some very big questions about the kind of totality of the view of addiction. And there really is 
no better guest on the planet to have to speak on this topic. And for, for those that don't know and those who are listening who might be a little bit clueless or have Me. been living in a... Uh, like Reza. I admit it. Totally <laughs> clueless on this subject. And it's very funny because we Reza is so smart on so many topics and we were prepping for this and Reza's like, I don't know. What is it? I don't get it. Honestly. Like, so take us from the very beginning. Our first question for you is, what is addiction? Bring us up to speed. Well, so let me give you a definition, Reza. And as I give it to you, just think about it. Okay. okay. So you might be the one person on the planet that it doesn't apply to, but an addiction, we usually think of it in terms of drugs and substances. But really, as Rain was saying, he's got addictions going on a whole lot of fields. Work and sex and substances, whatever. So addiction is not particularly about substances. An addiction is manifested in any... Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Behavior that a person finds temporary pleasure or relief in and therefore craves but then suffers negative consequences as a result of and has trouble giving up despite negative consequences. So I said any behavior. So that could be substances, could be tobacco, of course, alcohol, nicotine, opium, cocaine, whatever. It could be exercise. It could be... Could, well, it could be extreme sports, could be exercise. Mm -hmm. Social media, work. I guess. It could yeah. be social media, it could mm -hmm. be gambling, it could be... Um, shopping. Uh, shopping, internet gaming, eating, any range of human behaviors. So Reza, let me ask you from that point of view, and I'm not going to ask you anything specific, but if, if I give you that definition, does that ring any bells for you personally? Well, yeah, kind of. I mean, Rain actually uh, at the at the start of this uh, accused me of being a, a workaholic, and I guess that's true. I am a workaholic. I have you know 14 jobs. I have a lot of kids that I have to feed, so that's part of it. But uh, but I never really thought of that as a negative thing you know I well mean, the question well the question is look at my definition again the question is does it have negative consequences on you personally either physically or emotionally or on your relationships yes or no yeah that's the one i'll have to think about a little bit more see this is okay. really fascinating gabor because i feel like my knowledge about addiction really matches kind of um, society's changing knowledge right i like i would say most people i I used to think addiction was just some kind of moral failing, right? It's like if you're addicted to something, you've got a problem and you should go and 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 fix it. And then of course I understood that that was a misunderstanding and then I started reading articles that kept saying, "No, no, no, addiction should be thought of as a as a disease, right? As like a, any other disease that you have." And so you have to treat the disease and and addiction is a disease and you can do that through therapy or through medication. But what I find fascinating is that reading your material, your argument is that it's not a disease. It's not a moral failing. It's not a personality trait. Yeah, uh, there may be some genetic quality to it, but it's not like a, a thing where what we hear all the time, well, if your dad's an addict, well, then you're an addict. Uh, but that there's something deeper going on, something that does have to do with, with childhood, right? Well, that's what I'm getting at. So yeah. that, that, um, 
That's what I'm asking you. Like maybe you were one of the few people that doesn't have an addiction, but again, I'm just asking that definition, craving and pleasure, relief in the short term, negative consequences and difficulty giving it up. Uh, that's what an addiction is. Yeah. And I don't, I don't get what the target is. So if, 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 if maybe you, maybe you won't say, maybe you won't identify, maybe you're going to say, no, I don't have one, but I'm just asking you yes or no. You know, do I, do I focus on my work sometimes at the, um, detriment of my relationships? Absolutely. Yeah. There's okay, no great. question about that, but, but okay, I wonder, good. I wonder if it's because I'm getting short-term enjoyment out of it, or if it's because I'm just scared to death of, of being poor again. Well, here we go to the childhood trauma piece. Cause Reza was sharing with this with me earlier, you know, he grew up super poor parents of immigrants you know, you've got to work hard to make your way in this world. A lot of pressure and living in trailer parks. And so he's got 14 jobs. But isn't that a correlation between childhood trauma? And well, wait a minute. No, the 14 jobs could be a rational decision or it could be an addiction. The question is, is there pressure craving relief in the short term, negative consequence in the long term? And does he have trouble giving it up? That's what the question is. It's not what he's doing. It's his relationship to it. But let me ask you this. If it's an addiction, what does it do for you in the short term? What do you, what do you like about it? And, and Rain, I can ask you the same question. Whatever addiction processes you've been through and you've been very forthright in stating a whole bunch of them, what did they do for you? Let me ask you first. What did they do for you in the short term? What did you like about them? Um, you know, to do a deep dive, um, my mom left... Me. No, 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 hold it, hold it, hold it. Don't go there yet. Well, okay, but I, I'm going to get yeah, there. I'm going to get there, I promise. There's a reason why I'm asking in this sequence. Okay? Um, in the short term, it allows me to escape anxiety. Okay, terrific. So relief from anxiety, is that a good thing or a bad thing? That is a very good thing. Excellent. That's what I'm saying is the addiction is not a disease. It's an attempt to solve a problem. The problem is anxiety. So to call it either, now, did you choose to be anxious? Did you wake up one morning and says, hey, my ambition is to be anxious? No, yeah. are you gonna let me share my childhood trauma yet? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, in, in a minute I will. But, but the point I wanna nail first is the reason addiction is not a disease or a choice is because, well, it really is an attempt to solve a human problem with emotional pain, okay? So the pain comes first. So my mantra is not why the addiction, but why the pain? Now, why the pain, ta-da, childhood. Okay, okay, now I can go? Huh. Now you can go. Okay. So, yeah, my mom took off when I was two years old. Um, I was with my father, who did not in any way have the capacity to take care of a screaming, fat, two-year-old white baby. He remarried in a loveless marriage and moved to Central America, <laughs> as people are wont to do in those circumstances. And um, I experienced a lot of corporal punishment and a lot of isolation. And uh, over the years, uh, you know, uh, that was that was a fair amount of trauma in and of itself. And it led to a lot of anxiety and some depression and some other issues. Absolutely. So that's the whole point that you've been itching to get to very appropriately, is that first comes the trauma, then comes the pain, then the addiction comes along as an attempt to soothe the pain. So why call it a disease? And by the way, even in your narrative, it's interesting how you talked about it. You said, I experienced a lot of corporal punishment. No, you didn't. You were hit a lot. Mm -hmm. Even mm -hmm. even to say experience of corporal punishment is kind of intellectualizing it. Mm -hmm. What really happened was... You're going to make me cry. 
Dr. Yeah. No, I'm just teasing. But I, I do have emotion around that. But no, you're absolutely right. I was, I was hit a lot uh, as a child. Yeah. And how does that, what's the impact of a child of, of being abandoned by mom, of, 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 of being hit a lot, of, of being in a marriage, which is love? What, what's the impact? It's tremendous emotional pain. And when I'm thinking about addiction, it's always an attempt to escape emotional pain, whether the person realizes it or not. And let me tell you, I've spoken to hundreds of people. Of course, they talk about this all over the world and so on. People say, but well, sometimes I had a happy childhood. That usually takes me two minutes. In other words, underneath addiction, there's always emotional pain. That emotional pain is originally rooted in childhood. Then it gets triggered in adulthood. Let's say you lose a job, you lose a marriage. Let's say your factory closes down, all of a sudden you lose meaning in your life, you lose a sense of belonging. And that's why we're seeing the rise in addiction these days. So it's not just a question of individual trauma, it's also a question of social stress in a lot of people, coupled with individual trauma. But in every single case, the addictive behavior, whether it's to sex or gambling or shopping or substances, whatever it is, it's always about trying to soothe some distressing emotional state. So it's not the primary problem, it's an attempt to solve a problem, which then creates more problems. But it's a very, but it's a very human thing to do, to want to escape emotional pain. Hey folks, listen, today many small business owners are busier than ever, and time spent searching for and interviewing the wrong candidates for a job opening could be time better spent growing that said business, and that is why LinkedIn Jobs has made it easier to get to the candidates worth interviewing faster. And you know what? It's free. Reza, you ever, ever had to hire anybody? I, I have. You know, I have to like hire people for various, you know, projects that I'm doing. And I'm the worst at it because all I do is basically like send texts to friends. Anybody know anyone who can do the thing that I need? I mean, the idea that I could just now go to LinkedIn where like I got a profile right? anyway where it's all full of business yep. people anyway, and just sure. like that, find the right person. That's, that's fantastic. It's a great idea. You can create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 750 million people. Focus on candidates with the skills and experience you need. Use screening questions to get your role in front of only the most qualified people. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates worth interviewing faster. Did you know every week, nearly 40 million job seekers visited LinkedIn? Post your job for free, for free at linkedin.com slash milkshake. That's linkedin.com slash milkshake to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Metaphysical Milkshakers, this episode is brought to you by Four Sigmatic, a wellness company that's well-known for its delicious mushroom coffee. I have been starting my days thanks to our little starter kit they sent us with Four Sigmatic's ground mushroom coffee with lion's mane instead of regular coffee, and I love how it helps me focus so I can get shit done. It's amazing, and I definitely feel an uptick in my productivity every time I drink it. Mushroom coffee is also easy on my gut. Reza, what's your take on, on this? Best coffee ever. Wow. I'm not kidding. It was delicious. Best, best coffee ever. Yeah, it didn't have yeah. that, didn't have that, uh, you know, that acidic thing with the little, you know, when mm -hmm. you sometimes drink coffee and you could just feel it going down your chest. Yep. Very smooth, 
delicious, made me feel great. We have worked out an exclusive offer with our friends at Four Sigmatic on their best-selling mushroom coffee, but this is just for Metaphysical Milkshake listeners. Get up to 40% off plus free shipping on mushroom coffee bundles. So to claim this deal, you must go to foursigmatic.com, F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com slash milkshake. This offer is only for Metaphysical Milkshake listeners and is not available on their regular website. You'll save up to 40%, get free shipping. So go right now to foursigmatic.com slash milkshake and fuel your productivity and your creativity with some delicious mushroom coffee. I'm telling you, you, you won't go back. Can you just stick a mushroom in your coffee? You stick a mushroom in your coffee. Well, look, uh, I'm going to be honest. I didn't, I didn't realize that this was going to be a therapy session, but it, it, it is actually opening up some things. So if I were to answer the questions that you asked, Rain, suddenly, yes. Okay. If addiction originates in a person's need to solve a problem, some kind of deep-seated problem, often having to do with our earliest years, trauma or loss. Yeah. So my family was very wealthy when we lived in Iran and then we fled a revolution and then came here with nothing and grew up with nothing and having nothing was very stressful and it essentially destroyed our family. Like, you know, destroyed the relationship between my mother and my father. And, and then, you know, throughout my twenties and thirties, I was fairly poor myself, but it didn't matter because I was single and, uh, you know, whatever, when you're single, you you could live, you could live off of, uh, some ramen for, for most of your life. For years. 29 cents. It's easy. Um, but, you know, now I have a wife and I have more kids than I can count or recognize sometimes. And uh, yeah, I got to be honest with you. There, now that I think about it, when I when there is a moment in which I am unsure of like what the income is going to be, there is a tightening. There is a tightening in my chest and I do have kind of flashes of childhood a little bit. And so, yeah, I think, uh, if yes, I guess I'm a workaholic there. I I've, I've admitted step one, right? The first step is to admit there's a problem. And yeah, I think that I do it because I am so stressed out about being poor again, because I think if we're poor again, it'll destroy my family and my family is the most important thing to me. And holy shit, I'm an addict. Wow. <laughs> Time to get to a meeting, Reza. Sorry, but let me take it a step further, okay? So you recounted the the loss to your family of the up, upheaval in your country, having to emigrate, new culture, your parents having to make a living in a totally different society, financially, the economically, the pressures on your family. What did that feel like to you as a child? I'm not talking about the, the lack of money. I'm talking about the family atmosphere. How did that affect you? I guess the the primary emotion was stress and anxiety. But the the sort of result of the stress and anxiety was disconnection. Okay. And that's what trauma is. Trauma is a disconnection. Yeah. Trauma is a disconnection from self or from other people. That's what trauma is. And, and, and there's a good reason for that disconnection. Because when to stay connected is too painful, the human mind automatically disconnects. Hmm. And that's hmm. what, and so that the trauma is not what happens to us. Yeah. It's what happens to us as a result of what happens, what's happened inside us. 
as a result of what happens to us, and that disconnection, that sense of neither being fully myself or connected to myself or connected with other people the way I want to be, that's the essence of trauma. That reminds me of like a, an animal in the wild being attacked by a leopard or something like that, and they, and they just lie there sometimes in their shock and trauma, which might be a defense mechanism, but is often a, a, a rest- response to that negative stimulus. No, it's actually a defense mechanism. Uh, in, in that frozen state, um, the animal doesn't feel as much pain if it, in case it gets attacked. So animals who can't escape or fight back, which, are the, which is the primary uh, defense, but if they can't do that, their nervous system goes into freeze mode, which actually is a protective mode. Maybe if I'm immobile, they won't notice me. And if I am hurt, it won't hurt so much. And uh, people who are traumatized, like children who are sexually abused, they go into freeze mode. And then they blame themselves later on. Why didn't I fight back? They didn't fight back because the nervous system protected them by going into freeze mode. My family is rife with addiction. So there's just, it's chock-a-block with alcoholics from the upper middle west of the United States of America. Uh, And that alcohol was the number one kind of coping mechanism for stress, depression, and anxiety, especially in the 40s and 50s and 60s. So, um, but my dad, oddly enough, incredibly traumatic childhood. I mean, I'm telling you like stories that would just curdle your blood and curl your toes. Um, It mostly did happen a little later, more like seven, eight to 12, 13, more in there. Um, I'm not sure about the trauma in the earliest chapter of his life, but my dad surrounded by addicts. Um, He didn't drink, he didn't smoke, uh, he didn't overeat, he didn't overwork. I mean, uh, you know, I suppose, I mean, he had some character defects that one could point to as a trauma response. Like he, he had a tendency to be, to, to be very passive in his life and kind of not proactively make decisions that would help him. Um, he would get kind of choose not great marriage partners. He was married four times, although his his last wife he had was, was wonderful. Um, he passed away, by the way, uh, earlier this year. Let me, let me ask you, what age did he pass away? 79. Or what disease? Uh, heart disease. Mm-hmm. Um, really bad heart disease. Totally clogged arteries. And they tried to do a quadruple bypass and it, it didn't take. What makes you sure that the heart disease wasn't the trauma effect? I'm, see, I'm not, say, I'm not saying that everybody was traumatized becomes addicted. Mm-hmm. What I said was that everybody was addicted was traumatized. Uh, but trauma can show up in different ways. For example... Canadian study, men who are sexually abused, um, they have a significantly higher risk of, uh, of of heart disease, whether they smoke or not, or whether they drink or not. So that so that there's all kinds of ways physiologically in which trauma potentiates heart disease. Your father's heart disease, I would suggest, is probably a trauma effect. Mm. Mm. Now, he didn't have addiction, but again, trauma can manifest in multiple ways, addiction being only one of them. Ah. So, you know, you talk about these things uh, that you refer to as adverse childhood experiences, right? Or ACE. So this is, we've talked a little bit about this, uh, you know, abuse or violence in the family, um, the extreme stress of poverty, which is something that I I experienced. Uh, maybe like a really bad divorce or parents who are an addict. Um, and you're saying that you can sort of trace this, that you can, you can look at 
people who have a high number of these ACEs and how it it's sort of a straight line. It exponentially increases their chances of becoming an addict later on, right? Or, or, yeah, but not just being an addict. Also the chances of having uh, autoimmune disease, malignancy, mental illness, all kinds of things. So the, the line between ACEs is not directly only exclusively with addiction, it's to all manner of afflictions. Also like suicide, early death, things like that. All, all, all that, yeah. Yeah. Sexually, sexually transmitted disease, everything. So, uh, you know, not to get too personal, but obviously you've shared this before, but you had, of course, a very uh, traumatic uh, childhood. Uh, your uh, parents uh, lived under Nazi rule. Um, I, I wonder like how that experience shaped your um, addiction theories. First of all, my addiction theories are grounded in science. They're not just insights that I've had. In other mm, words, sure. what, what, what there's a huge gap in medical practice is between what science has shown us and what doctors understand. I mean, what I'm talking about has only been shown in 10,000 studies, you know, which I have many of them on my computer, relationship between trauma and addiction, how trauma affects the brain. I don't make that stuff up. It, it, it's only that... I saw its impact in physical, in clinical practice that couldn't help it. Right, but you also have a personal experience of it as well, not just a clinical one. Well, well that's right. And, and so in terms of my own experience, um, when I was working here in Vancouver with a highly addictive population, people that were dependent on heroin and cocaine and crystal meth and all manner of substances, and they're all being severely traumatized. And I didn't have ever have a substance addiction, but I had some significant behavioral addictions, including to work and to shopping. And I would lie and cheat and uh, manipulate just like my addicted clients. So that was, you know, <laughs> and, 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 and it, it had impacts on my personal life, on my marriage, on my children and so on. So I could easily recognize the similarities between myself and my clients. Now, the, the differences were obvious. I was a middle-class successful physician. They were street dwellers. They had HIV. I didn't. But but in terms of the similar, so the, the differences are obvious, but it was the similarities that were interesting. And now when you said I had a traumatic childhood, I want to correct that a little bit. I didn't have the kind of traumatic childhood that Rain had. I had a traumatic infancy. But the family I grew up in was, by and large, a functional, loving family home. My parents were not perfect parents, but there was no... Um, neglect or abuse of our kids, so that the trauma that I sustained happened in the first year of my life as a Jewish infant under Nazi occupation, under the threat of genocide, the privation, the hunger, separation from my mother. That has significant impacts on my brain. It, it, it made me tune out as a way of coping with it. So I developed ADD, which, by the way, is not another non-disease that they think is a disease, but actually it begins as a tuning out. And so I had the tuning out, I had poor impulse regulation, I had a kind of a sense of emptiness and, and not being enough. Now, if you don't think you're enough, here's what you do. You go to medical school and, and, and now you're going to, uh, if you don't think you're lovable, go to medical school. If you don't think they want you, yeah. uh, like my mother gives me to a stranger as a year, one year old to save my life. Mm. So I don't, for six, don't see her for six weeks. Well, the message I get is I'm not wanted. Okay? Mm -hmm. And if you're not wanted, go to medical school, as I've often said. Now they're going to want you all the time. 
uh, when, you, when they're dying, when they're being born, and every minute in between when there's a crisis, highly addictive. So there's my work addiction. Yeah, so, yeah. So that my infancy um, and the unresolved pain I was carrying as a result of it really had a lot to do with the stresses in my marriage, the trauma that I transmitted to my children, how I approached my work and all that. And of course, working on all that stuff, like rain, at some point, I had to decide, hey, this life is not working. I need to find out why. I need to go into therapy. I need to do some self-reflection. Uh, and that's when I started to put these pieces together. And it resonated so much with the experiences of my clients. The difference being that they had had much tougher childhoods than I had. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Folks, therapy is uh, such an important tool. And uh, it, people talk about, oh, it's so much money, I can't afford it. But you know what? It's an investment in yourself. And yes, you're, you know, you're paying in those hundreds of dollars. And I know times are tough and money is tight, but it can really pay off further down the line if you're not getting in your own way and shooting yourself in the foot, learning how to believe in yourself better and getting out of dangerous patterns that hold you back. I have been a huge, huge fan of therapy for the last 20 years. And this is a great way to do it. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches that make it easy and free to change counselors if you need. And it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling. And there's financial aid. So BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. It's a worldwide service. You can log into your account anytime. You can send a message to your counselor. Why not try it? Here's what I'm going to ask people to do. Visit betterhelp.com slash milkshake. That's better, B-E-T-T-E-R, help, H-E-L-P. Not better kelp. That's a different product. And join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Special offer for Metaphysical Milkshake listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash milkshake. Green Chef makes it easy to eat the immune-boosting foods you need to stay healthy and fuel a jam-packed end to summer. Eating well is easier than ever with satisfying home-cooked dinners and options that work around your lifestyle, not the other way around. You can choose from 30 easy-to-follow recipes every week with options for keto, paleo, plant-powered diets, whatever you're doing. Listen, I've tried other meal preparation services, and I really liked Green Chef because everything was really organic and super fresh and really healthy, and you could taste that in every bite. I had this like Moroccan rice, no, Moroccan couscous and vegetables dish. Mm. It was delicious. It was spiced and flavored perfectly, Ooh. and I highly recommend it. So go to greenchef.com slash milkshake100 and use code milkshake100 to get, guess how much? $100 off, including free shipping. That's greenchef.com slash milkshake100, and you get $100 off, including free shipping. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. I feel like Milkshake 100 should be the name of our band. <laughs> I like that. What would, what would you, would you be the, the lead singer? Is that? Course. Of course. If I get to take Fine. my shirt off, yes. And what? I'd be the roadie? Is that what it would, is that? Tambourine. <laughs> Tambourine. <laughs> you know, you, you talked about this seems like a modern part of the disease. 
I mean, it's probably been throughout human history, but a more modern part of the disease are stressed out, busy parents who yeah. are unable <laughs> to be there for their kids or unwilling or just dealing with their own addiction and trauma. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm raising a teenage boy. Um, and, you know, it seems like there's so much more to navigate these days. Like if you go back to like the 50s and 60s, what are the addictions? Like, well, it's cocktails like Mad Men and then some really bad folks that get Smoking. into some- Heroin, yeah, yeah, but that wasn't even considered an addiction. And then yeah. that was later, and then all of a sudden there's, you know, uh, you you can add on, oh, there's, you know, lighter drugs like marijuana, but then maybe, I don't know, sex and shopping and gambling, and, you know, it starts to kind of compound. But now in raising a teenager, and I look around and I see so many dangers that just didn't exist, you know, the idea that you can pick up this phone and then there's uh, a uh, there's a thousand video games on it. You know, um, vaping is happening nonstop with teenagers. Uh, social media, obviously, we've talked about kind of unlimited porn. I mean, you know, we put blocks on the phone and stuff like that. But porn is just ubiquitous and everywhere. We had to fight like hell for our Playboy magazines in the 1970s to even get like three wrinkled magazines to look at furtively. Now it's just like anything you want pornography wise is just available. Sugar is in everything and way more available than it used to be. Constant distraction. I even had a, a friend of a friend whose kids were put into therapy for YouTube addiction. Very specifically, inability to stop looking at YouTube videos. You talked about these short term. So there's this kind of this, this ladder, this evolution of addiction that seems to be coming on more and more and more fronts. Can you talk about this, this modern battle we've got going on? Well, there's a number of things going on. I mean, you're absolutely right in your description. Um, there are a number of things driving it. Number one, we're not raising kids like the way human kids are meant to be raised. Human kids are meant to be raised in large family hunter-gatherer tribal groupings with lots of nurturing adults around, free play in nature and companions of multiple ages. Infants were not meant to be put down. They were meant to be held all the time. They were not meant to cry it out. They were meant to be soothed right away. This is how human beings evolved. So we've come a far way. Now the average, in the United States at least, 25% of women have to go back to work within two weeks of giving birth. Wow. Which is a major trauma to the infant, the loss of the mother, even the temporary loss of the mother. Because, you know, in, 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 in hunter-gatherer groups, the average age of weaning from breastfeeding is four years. So we've, we've gone way beyond the niche in which we evolved. That's hurting a lot of kids. That creates a lot of emptiness and pain in children. And then the society creates a lot of modalities to which to soothe the pain, to distract ourselves from it. This being a major culprit, mm -hmm. the cell phone, the television, the YouTube, the internet. Um, another thing, uh, Rain, if you're raising a teenager, I really urge you to read the book I co-wrote called Hold On To Your Kids, if you haven't read it. I'm writing it down, hold on to your kids. Because what mm -hmm. happens, the human brain can't handle a loss of relationship. So when a duckling hatches from the egg, I'm going to go on a bit of a rant for a minute here. When, a duckling, when the duckling hatches from the egg, 
What what happens when the when, when the duckling sees the mother duck? What do we call that? Imprinting. Exactly. And imprinting is, I'm going to follow you, and I'm going to be your child and your follower, and you're going to teach me and protect me and nurture me. Now, what happens to the duckling if it hatches from the egg and the mother duck is not there? What will the duckling imprint on? If, if, what, um, whatever's there. Yeah, whatever's exactly. there. Exactly. Whatever, whatever, whatever's there. It could be a dog, yeah. a horse, a mechanical yeah. moving toy, none of which are designed by nature to bring that duckling up to adulthood. Now, children are the same. Children are meant to imprint on the parents and the nurturing adults. But what happens in our society, our children from an early age on don't even see, don't even see the adults in their lives most of the day. Who mm. do they imprint on, do you think? In each other. Mm. So now you have immature creatures imprinting on other immature creatures. Oh. And when that happens, kids are desperate to connect to each other all the time through this thing here. Isn't that just called Instagram? <laughs> yeah, immature yeah, creatures yeah, imprinting yeah, on other immature creatures. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And that's So what I'm saying is that first of all, this society creates the problem, and then it creates products to exploit the problem. And so that, and 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 when kids imprint on each other, parents lose their capacity to parent. They lose their power because the kids are not looking to the parent anymore. So it's a mm. huge problem. So there's so many ways in which the society a creates problems and then in its ingeniousness, creates products to exploit the problem. And, and the food, you mentioned sugar, you know this. The food companies do special research, high, sophisticated neural research, neurological research, to figure out what combination of sugar, salt, and fat will be most addictive to children. Yeah, and that same process is undertaken by psychologists that work for social media companies that try and uh, monetize dopamine hits. There are teams of specialists trying to keep us and get us addicted. I know, that's the whole point. So the society creates the emptiness and the pain and the stress, and then it creates products to exploit it for profit. Now, in the downtown east side of Vancouver, if a patient of mine sold an ounce of cocaine, they'd be sitting in jail. But these people sit in corporate boardrooms, addicting millions of people to health endangering behaviors, and all they do is get higher um, dividends. That's the society that we live in. In a sense, you've kind of answered already our big question of this episode. Why are we addicted to everything? Addiction numbers in the U.S. uh, are skyrocketing. I have some stats here, which right away, I don't even believe them. 38% of adults battled an illicit drug uh, uh, use disorder. That's way too low. Almost 21 million Americans have at least one addiction. Bullshit. That's way too low now that I think about it. That's because they define addiction in very narrow terms. Yeah, drugs and alcohol. That's what what they're saying, right? Uh, Only 10% of them... uh, receive treatment. Uh, about 300 million people throughout the world have an alcohol use disorder. No way. Oh, it's way, way higher no than that. No way. Come these on. are, these, yeah, these, these numbers, it's way. But the bottom line is, is that the answer to the question, why are we addicted to everything, seems to be that, well, if addiction is a symptom of a disorder and the disorder is trauma that comes from a growing up in an increasingly disconnected, despiritualized world, well, then there's your answer. <laughs> hmm. So, at, you know, at the risk of uh, depressing the shit out of all of our listeners, uh, <laughs> what, where do you find hope? How, how, do, we, how do we heal ourselves uh, as a society? 
Well, first of all, uh, it, it, my intention is not exactly to depress, depress anybody. <laughs> it, it's actually show them that a different possibility is available to us, you know. Mm-hmm. But we have to first get the reality of this life that we're living. What I love doing though is disillusioning people. Mm. Now we think of we think of disillusionment as a bad thing. But let me ask you something. Would you rather be illusioned or disillusioned? How would you rather be? <laughs> I'd rather be living in reality. You'd rather be living in reality. Because you can't or, grow unless you're seeing it. That's the whole point. And so I, it's ne- I my intention is never to depress, but it's always to hold up a reflection of reality to people. Now, it's not a question of hope of something happening in the future. I believe deeply uh, in, in the human capacity for wholeness. By the way, healing comes from the word wholeness. So, and that disconnection is a loss of wholeness, but it's not the loss of wholeness in the sense of the wholeness being destroyed. It just, we lose connection with our wholeness. So I believe in the possibility of reconnection. What do we call reconnection? We call it recovery, finding again something that we've lost. And so that, possibility is inherent in every human being, in every creature in the universe, by the way. So when you ask me what's the hope, the possibility of reconnection and healing is available to us as long as we're alive. So it's not this vague hope that I have, it's a real possibility that I've seen in action, uh, inspiringly so. And, And it can happen both on the individual and with much more great difficulty on the social level as well. So if you ask me what's my hope, well, that's the possibility that I see. That is a perfect way to end this discussion, but we have a cherry on top of the pie. Um, I don't know what you say in, um, in, in Vancouver, British Columbia. We've got a, a cinnamon on top of the crumpet. Um, <laughs> the gravy on top of the fries. The gravy oh, on the poutine is the lightning round. We're going to ask you quick fire questions. We'd love to hear the first response that comes to your mind, helps us get to know you a little bit better and shed some insights. So, uh, Gabor, when do you feel most connected with the universe? When I look in my wife's eyes. Oh, I love that. Uh, what skill do you wish you had? Drumming. I wish I was a great drummer. We should hang. I'm not great, but I'm pretty I can good. pound. You know what I mean? I can pound. My six-year-old yeah. kicks ass. Anyway. What was the happiest day of your life? The day my first child was born. And it was the happiest moment of my mm-hmm. life. What's something that uh, only few people know about you? What a wonderful guy I am. <laughs> <laughs> we know uh, that. Rain and I know what, that. We knew, I've known that for years. What book changed your life? Don Quixote. That's the first Cervantes uh, yeah. reference so far yeah. Yeah. on the pod. Yeah. Um, Tell us about your most enlightening spiritual experience, but it can't be looking into your wife's eyes or your birth of your child. It happened at the influence, actually, of um, of ayahuasca. There uh, we go. A, Peru- a Peruvian uh, or an Amazonian uh, brew uh, um, administered by shamans. And as the shaman was chanting to me uh, two years ago in the deep in the jungle of Peru, I had this can't even describe experience. Well, you, can you say I can't even describe experience. Can you give us a try? Give it a try. Three sentences. What can you describe? Because that's, that's a big setup. Well, it was uh, a sky blue screen I was looking at. It might have been the sky. And inscribed in that sky, in cloud-like letters, were 
was a word made out of six characters, B-O-L-D-O-G, which is the Hungarian word for happy. Hmm. And all of a sudden I realized that my happiness is not dependent, is not limited by what happened to me as an infant. Damn. All right, our final question that we always ask is, what is your life's big question? You know, when I go into the depths of me, there are no questions left. And that doesn't mean that I won't get surprised. I expect to be surprised. But something in me already knows what the surprise is going to be. Uh, that's as close as I can get to it. Dr. Gabramete, this has been uh, one of the most fascinating pods I think we've ever done, certainly for me, now that I know that apparently I'm an addict and I should probably think about that a little bit more. Uh, so <laughs> if nothing else has it. come out of this. Yeah, exactly. So we've uncovered Reza's addiction, just inspiring, amazing conversation as I knew it would be. And, um, I just urge all the listeners to, um, well, to call you, to call and email you. And he's in Vancouver. If you wander around the streets of Vancouver, you'll run into uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, hope they, I hope they don't, but they can certainly check out my website. <laughs> and, and, and there's a lot of my work on the YouTube, on, on, on YouTube that nobody has to pay any money to access. Yes, and there's, unless you're addicted to YouTube, you should avail yourself of it. <laughs> Except and, for that kid who's addicted to YouTube, yeah. wherever you are. Thank you very much, uh, Gabor Mate, uh, for being on a Metaphysical Milkshake. Uh, we certainly appreciate it. Thank you. Wow, that was powerful, man. Um, I, I feel like I owe him money for therapy. You should absolutely be paying <laughs> him like $375. How, That's the high-end the, therapy rate. What kind of a therapist are you seeing? That's the high-end therapy rate. That's you what know? celebrities pay. For yes, a therapist. A celebrity, celebrity therapist. That sounds like a, a fun comedy. Like Al Hatchet, celebrity therapist. Is <laughs> your new but, role? Um, but that was amazing. What did you What did you get out of that conversation? It seems I saw. I've known you for a long time. I saw a lot of light bulbs going. I know, off. right? It does. It's rare that I learn something. <laughs> or <laughs> it certainly, is. certainly rare that I learn something about myself. But uh, I, first of all, I want to say his. His definition of what addiction is makes the most sense to me. Because I mean, as hmm. I as I said earlier, I'm kind of I've been confused about what I hear. Like, are things not addictive, but people are addictive? But actually, it turns out things are kind of addictive, and maybe it's a disease, and maybe it's not a disease, and maybe it's something you inherit, but maybe it has to do with your circumstances. Like, I and his definition of it that yeah. well, it's both biological and psychological and environmental yeah. because it. It's all this kind of cycle that happens, a cycle of trauma, makes so much sense to me. And yeah. using that framework to really think about why it is that I work so fucking hard all the time and expect people to praise me for it. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I expect people to be like, holy shit, Reza, you're amazing. Like, you know, but is it the symptom of a, trauma that I've never actually really dealt with for sure. Is it trying to fix some anxiety that shows up every once in a while and that I can immediately bury down by taking another gig? Yeah. Does it come with some long-term consequences in this particular case, 
not spending as much time as I could with my kids. Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> That's, right. Right. Oh my God. Like, yeah. So the, you know, the question that, uh, my therapist would ask, and I imagine that Gabor would ask as well is like, okay, so you have this anxiety and fear of deprivation that came from deprivation and trauma and you try and soothe that or assuage that fear with uh, working, taking on new projects that take you away from your family. So what are you going to do to soothe yourself, to calm your anxiety, mm -hmm. to escape your pain that are healthy, that don't involve something that's going to have some kind of deleterious effect on you or your family? No fucking clue. Wrong. Pickleball. <laughs> no fucking Pickleball. clue. Beach volleyball. Beach, okay. Maybe. Okay. I'll, all right. All right. I'm just, I'm just thinking out loud here, dear listener. So, so bear with me. Maybe I should have a hobby. Like the one thing that my friends know about me that my wife makes fun of me all the time is that I literally don't have a hobby with the exception of the now, unfortunately, Las Vegas Raiders. Oh, I, I, I don't have a hobby. I literally don't have a hobby. That's not a hobby. It uh, it feeds my kids eggs, so I don't have to buy eggs. I've got a good hobby for you. Beekeeping. I, I got bee. We had, long time listeners know it didn't work out. We tried the bee thing. You we go killed, back. We killed 20,000 bees. Maybe that's just it. Maybe what I need to do is find myself a hobby, something that doesn't pay. Like, I feel like everything that I do is essentially yeah. a job because I'm constantly we've, hustling. We've talked about this before because part of my thing is being an actor and being in public and a public figure. Like, everything I do, like, even if I learn a song in guitar, I'll be like, oh, I'm going to put this on my Instagram. <laughs> right. You know, everything is for show. It's for like, show. And I, one of the things I've wanted to do is I've always loved uh, pottery and ceramics. I got a kiln and kind of setting up an area in oh, my garage nice. to do it. And, uh, you know, I think I need to do it and not show anything on Instagram. Like I need to just, you don't have want to a, Seth Rogen it. No, no, no. Fuck that. I need to, I need to have my own private Idaho of my, of my, of my work. And, you know, is it something that can soothe me and, uh, and, and quell some anxiety? Maybe so. Same thing with, uh, for, with me and books. So people are always like, have you read this book? It's really entertaining. And I'm like, I don't read books to be entertained. I read books yeah. to learn shit so that, that I can do other so, things. So you can sound smart on podcasts <laughs> yeah. by referencing them. Even novels. I'm like, well, I, I, I will read only certain novels if it helps me be a better writer. But I would never read a novel because I enjoy it. Like, that's yeah. not a thing that I would do. All right. My son gave me a book, Red Red Planet Rising or something like that. It's an action adventure book about a revolution on Mars in the future. Oh shit, I read that. But you it, did. But again, only because it was possible that I was thinking of maybe joining a group of people who were going to adapt it. I would never have read it. So my son is imploring me to just read it because it's so freaking awesome. So I'm going to sit down and read right. a book for pleasure. So there Good you go. Good luck with that. What about you, dear listener? Uh, certainly if you went through the same experience that I did, you <laughs> probably have learned something about yourself. Do you have an addiction that you were unaware of until this moment? Uh, are you someone with addictions, uh, that you recognize, but never really understood, uh, the trauma behind them? Let us know. So, you know, Rain, we had asked our loyal fans and listeners uh, that if they could 
Go to wherever they listen to our podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever. Rate and review us and write down sort of a, a, a life's big question. And that if we really liked it, we would have them come on the show and we'd give them the opportunity to ask us in person and we would answer it, solve all of their problems. And no one, right here. And no one did it, did they? And no one did <laughs> no, it. What, one person did it. No, I'm just kidding. A Wait. lot of people, thousands of people did it, but... Millions, like Rogan-sized audience did it? <laughs> no, are you nuts? No. Is it Rogan-esque? Maybe like the people in the studio while Rogan does his podcast, like that We size. need to talk about uh, mushrooms and wrestling more. Somebody write that hey, down. Hey, let's get in a podcast battle with Joe Rogan. <laughs> Have you seen, he's got muscles. I don't. He, he could take both of us. Plus he's, he's not vaccinated. I don't want to be anywhere near him. So someone wrote in is what you're saying. Lots of people wrote in. Okay. But one person won is what I'm trying to say. <gasps> wow. It was a winner. And that winner is here with us. And her name is Ren Morton. And she's joining us from Lawrenceville, Kansas. Hi, Ren. Hi. Thank you for having me. Hi, Ren. Welcome to Metaphysical Milkshake. Thank you for posting your question and your review so beautifully on the Apple Podcasts app. And what is Ren? Does Ren stand for like Renaissance? That's a nickname. My nickname is Little Renaissance, um, but it's short for my middle name, Renea. Well, first, let me make sure to introduce the two of you. Ren, Rain, Rain, Ren, Ren, Rain. It's nice Rain, to meet you. Ren. My question was, should belief systems be legitimized in the sense of being considered sanctioned or genuine or legit, basically? Um, you know, when I, I've studied a lot, I, I grew up fundamental Baptist, <clears throat> as I think most Kansans probably tend towards, and then <laughs> um, yeah, had a hard break with Christianity. And I spent a year in the mosque, a year in the Zen center, two years in a Catholic center. Um, I've studied Hindu mythology, Buddhism, um, before settling now, on. Were, were you uh, locked which... in these centers? Were they, did they lock you in the in the Zen center? I spent a year no. in the Zen center. Let me out of here. <laughs> I'm Zen I can't out. take the koans anymore. Ah! Yeah, so just more in the sense of just attending regularly and and being a part of that community for a while. And um, I just noticed that, you know, uh, Christianity, Islam, uh, and many of the others tend to throw their weight behind their 2,000-year-old religions. And they're, um, you know, I, I wonder sometimes how that works for other belief systems that were interrupted by violence and colonialism and how they regained that legitimacy. Um, you know, there's a conversation around reclaiming what was lost and destroyed. And that, I think, plays into that claim for legitimacy, um, but, you know, in, in witchcraft and, and feminine centered belief systems, there's a lot of controversy about choosing goddesses and the legitimacy of that and the naming of goddesses and things like that. And, um, so that just makes me think about, you know, should, should that even be a thing? Like is, is, should there be a commentary on whether or not someone's belief system is legitimate? Wow. First of all, can I thank you for not for coming on and not talking about the office? Just, I just <laughs> really want to appreciate that. Listen, this we love this question, don't we, Rain? I mean, you know, belief yeah. systems and legit where where do they gain their legitimacy from? That's a very, you know, interesting, mm -hmm. important issue. It, does legitimacy come from the number of followers? Um, does it come from how long the belief system 
um, has existed. I mean, you're absolutely right. Rain has heard me tell this joke a million times, but the difference between a religion and a cult is time. That's it. That's the that's the difference between those. You know, mm-hmm. we always we mm-hmm. joke that cult plus time equals religion. But how much? Yeah, time? certainly Christianity was considered a cult in its first oh. couple hundred years. Oh, like, absolutely. who are these crazy people and then the Son of God and he floated up to the <laughs> sky and what are There's, these morons they, talking about? I mean, they sold all their right. possessions and lived in common together. Like that's. A cult, That's crazy, right? and That's... then all of a sudden, there's a Caesar. <laughs> Sounds very <who's>, familiar. <laughs> he be, he converts, and then it's the state religion, and then they're off to the races. But then the other thing too is like, well, is it is it number of believers? And That's kind of an interesting thought experiment as well. I mean, you think about Judaism, which is an ancient religion, but which has twelve to fifteen million followers in the world. Um, you know. That's how many Hindus, you know, are just at my local bodega. Um, so, you know, it's again, it's it's hard it's hard to figure out where this legitimacy goes. I have my kind of idea about where legitimacy rests, and I think it's it has to do with how a belief system can use the language of metaphor, the language of symbols, to address the constantly changing situation of its believers. And that constantly changing thing is really important. Like any anybody who has studied the world religions will tell you that the difference between a living religion and a dead religion isn't that one is true and one is not true. The difference is, is that one evolved and one didn't. If, if a belief system is incapable of constant malleability, constantly changing, constantly evolving to match the um, ever-changing needs of the community, that religion goes away. And there are hundreds, if not thousands, of examples of religions that at one time, you know, (laughs) crisscrossed the entire globe. Zoroastrianism, one of my all-time favorite religions, a perfect example of this, right? I mean, Zoroastrianism was one time the largest empire in the world, and now there are maybe a couple of hundred thousand Zoroastrians left. Well, because one of the laws of Zoroastrianism is they're not allowed to convert anyone. So That's what allowed. I was just going to say. Yeah, you can't yeah. declare your faith. Ren Morton couldn't spend a year at the Zoroastrian Center. They, they wouldn't let mm-hmm. her in. What about Manichaeism was just as big as Christianity in early, in early Rome and uh, mm-hmm. complete, completely disappeared. Manichaeism much influenced by Zoroastrianism. But I think there's a there's another aspect to this question, which is, uh, and this, you know, philosophy deals with this a lot. It's the difference between subjective truth and objective truth. So at the end of the day, we're all going to die and we'll, we'll either kind of like wake up in some other state of being with some kind of conscious, some kind of consciousness in some other altered state and recognize that there is some kind of divine creator out there, or it will just be lights out and we are all just a random assemblage of molecules. And so one of the, or the other of those is true. And there's probably some ground in the middle. We may wake up and be, and we're all in hell and it's Jesus is the son of God. And because we're not born again and we weren't baptized in a certain way that we're going to burn in hell for eternity. So that's an objective truth. One of those things is going to exist out there. But what you're talking about is the subjective truth coming into creation of a belief system and that gets very um, delicate. You're right, because yeah. for, for hundreds of years, thousands of years, these 
larger belief systems kind of squashed and quelled other smaller belief systems and delegitimized them and Mm -hmm. many cases absorbed them too. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the other other thing I'll say is that, you know, with regard to, you were talking about, you know, Wicca and nature religions and things like that. And I think oftentimes people tend to think of those as new religions or new ideas, or that it's somehow innovative to think of the feminine aspect of God, you know, instead of the masculine aspect. And yes, it is true that for a few thousand years, God the Father has been the dominant, um, you know, metaphor for the way that particularly we in the West think of the divine. But for about a hundred thousand years before then, God the Mother was ascendant. So, again, if we're talking about how long a, a, a you know a belief system lasts and whether that's where its legitimacy lies, then certainly polytheism is way more legitimate than monotheism. Monotheism is barely five thousand years old. Um, you know, certainly concepts of the divine mother as opposed to the divine father are much older. Um, Nature religions are much, much older. So, you know, again, to me, it it is that subjective truth that that Rain was talking about. You know, even in the term belief system, implied within that term is subjectivity. And so it really is about what answers your questions, right? What allows you to have a view of, of the world that makes sense, that that allows you to, to understand what your role in this kind of indeterminate existence is. I, that's what I find interesting is like witchcraft, we, we're not evangelicals, like we have no interest in conversion, converting anybody. And so witches don't generally talk about it. Um, and so it's always kind of like a surprise if you find someone like in your environment that has like the same like set of belief, you're like, oh, okay, right. that that um, that's so interesting that we kind of came to that. And so for me, like the concept of it is more focused on like the loss of the tricks of the trade that were shared among women, the way that, you know, the, the, I guess the esoteric concepts were baked into nursery rhymes, into hymns. And, you know, it was really um, a place at the hearth and rather at, and rather than at these like huge dominating um, structures. And so um, that made more sense to me. And I liked, I liked the fluidity of the belief system, you know, which is tend very much to be like, we're, we're very non-judgmental about, if someone has an experience that differs from ours, we're like, that could totally be a thing. Mm-hmm. Just because it's not our experience doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And so I think there's a lot for me that which is always new that science is just catching up to. Um, for example, um, I'm also a synesthete and I have what's called emotional mediated synesthesia. Oh, and so you so see feelings. I see feelings in color and I can taste them. And so um, what science is now discovering is that that is like my brain just has more mirror neurons than other people's brains. And for witches, we always knew this existed. You know, they're called empaths or they're called auras. Um, But, you know, for a long time, that was like, that's like... You know, that's metaphysics, Mm. (laughs) Um, you know, in the book section. Mm. Now, my main question is, does the state of Kansas know that it's employing a Wiccan who can taste feelings? (laughs) No, (laughs) but I also, I'm not afraid. Um, 
you know, I think that I, I don't proselytize, like I said, which is don't proselytize, but I'm, I'm not afraid of repercussions. So, well, listen, Ren, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, fascinating discussion. Great question. Thanks for leaving your question in the comments section of the Apple podcasts and anyone else can do that as well. And perhaps we will invite you on the show like we did to Ren Morton, the Kansas witch of Lawrence. <laughs> you can find us on socials at Reza Aslan at Rain Wilson. We're on Twitter at Meta Milk Podcast and on Instagram at Metaphysical Milkshake. Tag us, let us know. Uh, and if you want to watch our faces talking, uh, check us out on our YouTube channel and subscribe their Metaphysical Milkshake YouTube channel. If you are going to be addicted to anything, being addicted to this podcast isn't so bad. I'm totally addicted to Metaphysical Milkshake. <laughs> oh my God, you guys. Dr. Gabor Mate said. Share that with your friends. Uh, rate, like, subscribe, review our podcast, please. Give us five star on Apple Podcast and talk about how much you love us. And that will actually help us uh, in the podcast world. And it will also validate our workaholism. <laughs> Thank you for listening, everyone. <laughs> See you next time. Metaphysical Milkshake is executive produced by Rain Wilson, Reza Aslan, and Colin Thompson. It is produced by Safa Samazadeh Yazd, Harris Lane, Mick DeMaria, Hashem Self, and DJ Lubel. Cast Media is the production and distribution partner. It is edited by Tyler Newbold and audio mixed by Justin Kyle. Original music by Jeff Tang. You know, the Buddha 2,500 years ago talk about being people being addicted to games and elephant shows and all, you know. I too am addicted to elephant shows, but I love elephant shows. Yes. I will drop anything to go to an elephant show.